Hello, folks. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. I'm your host, Roy Bensvi. This podcast is an opportunity for me to speak with some of the most interesting people I know, either with amazing talents or achievements or unbelievable life stories or just invaluable insights into areas which they have dedicated their lives to studying. I sit down with these amazing individuals from across the planet and I try to ask them questions that will hopefully help you, the listener, extract something valuable or learn something new or just hopefully get inspired by. You can find all the episodes for the podcast on all the major podcasting platforms such as iTunes, Spotify, Google, Overcast, iHeartRadio, literally all of them, it's there. Uh, if you love the show, if it adds value to your life in any way, shape, or form, please, please leave reviews on iTunes. It really helps grow the podcast. It puts it up there so more people can see it. You can also find all the episodes and everything else, all the information that's updated regularly on the website, which is RoyBensvi.com, R-O-Y-B-E-N-T-Z-V-I.com, and you can sign up for updates as well. Also been updating the YouTube channel, so I've been uploading old episodes pretty much on a daily basis, so you can find it there. And in the future, I hope to make video podcasting as well. If that's something you guys want to check out and are interested in, please shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And also make sure to check out the social media platforms, Instagram and Twitter. I post there daily. And lastly, if you guys want to support and help grow the podcast, please go to Buy Me a Coffee or Anchor or Patreon. It is an endeavor to grow this podcast and make it what it should be. And uh, it takes a village. So I want to thank each and every one of you for listening. I, you know, I see that there are literally listeners from all over the world in each and every country. So thank you to everyone and on to the show. All right, guys. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Yasmin Probst. She is a senior lecturer at the University of Wollongong and a research fellow with the Illawarra Health and Medical Research Institute. She is a practicing dietitian with the Dietitians Association of Australia, and she was recently featured on the documentary Vitamania. Really, really eye-opening, insightful, great documentary about vitamins. It's one of those things where we just always took because we thought we had to. It's vitamins, right? What could be bad about vitamins? Well, that's what the podcast is for. So she was on the documentary. She had a lot of great uh, insights and I wanted to reach out and have her on the podcast and kind of dive deeper to really see if this is something we need. Is it overhyped? Is it overmarketed? Do we really know what goes into it? Do we really know how much do we need? Do we actually need it? So there was a lot of questions coming in. Also food related. What is the ultimate human diet? Does one even exist? So we really, really got into the weeds with regards to food, with regards to vitamins and to the, all the benefits that come or don't come with it. Yasmin was really great. She gave a lot of great tips, a lot of really interesting uh, insights. And this was just a really, really fun conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you guys take something from this, some useful information that you can apply into your daily life, into whatever you eat, whatever you consume, whatever vitamins you do or don't take. So yeah, I just hope this helps you. 
be a little bit more informed about the choices you're currently making. So without further ado, here is Dr. Yasmin Probst. Enjoy the episode, everyone. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Yasmin. Hi, how are you? Hey, is it y- y- Yasmin or Yasmin? Yasmin. Yasmin. All right. I mean, I'm, technically, I'm... I'm German, so Yasmin is how we would pronounce it, but that's very <laughs> uncommon here in Australia. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, it's a beautiful name. Um, Thank you. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's been an interesting time. Oh, yeah? It's been, like COVID times or something that recently happened? No, I think just generally. Um, life is very um, different. This, this new norm is interesting. It is interesting. <laughs> is, is that affected? I mean, as, as far as, as your work and, uh, you know, you work in, um, I hope I'm pronouncing this correct, Wollongong? That's right, in Wollongong. Yes, Wollongong. I do. Right, I got it. Yes. Um, yeah. So ha- has it affected the work a little bit? It has affected the work quite a lot. Yes. Um, so I'm working remotely and I have been working remotely for about the last year. Um, so I would normally be down by the beach for work because that's where our campus is based, but now I'm at home in the bush, the Australian bush, which is where we live. So, (laughs) um, does have quite an impact on on the work, but I think now we're getting used to it and, um, it seems to be becoming that, that new norm for us all remote teaching and remote research and who knows what else. Where, uh, where, where in the bush? Where, like, if you had to, like, pinpoint on the map, where, where are you? Um, so I am nowhere near Sydney, but I'm in New South Wales at least. So we've got the state okay. correct there at least. Yeah. Um, but then if we head out west, um, I'm out in a, a region called the Southern Highlands, um, which is we get our extremes of temperature. So normally now in the summer we would have our 40-plus degree, degree Celsius days. Um, and in the winter, we've had we've actually been known to have snow down here as well. So it's really the two extremes, and we love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what you want, right? Like that's, and I think that's one of the things I love about the area that that I live is uh, in, in New England. You you feel every season. Like yeah. summer is hot, you yeah. know. Winter is really cold, and the in between seasons are really really nice and beautiful and. Uh, you can, you know, go see the trees and how they change and the foliage. So you feel every season rather than like some other places where I've, I've been where it's just, it just feels like summer all year round pretty much. Yes. Yes. No, I definitely hear you there. Feeling every season. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Australia is pretty, I mean, you can be extremely remote in, in probably more than most places. It's almost like I mean, it's not the size of Russia or Canada, but you can be probably just as remote in Australia, right? Because you, I mean, it's what, like the fourth or fifth largest country and you have a population of like 20 something million, roughly? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we cracked 20 or 24 million. Oh, I get my numbers completely wrong now as well. (laughs) Um, But no, we don't, we don't have too many people in a very big country. And there are some areas where you can be that one person and not see another person for quite a long time. Um, but that's one of the reasons we like living out here in the rural areas because you can have the space for yourself and, you know, we can have a family with kids who can yell and scream as much as they like and <laughs> aren't really interrupting people too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's New York City has 10 million people. Wow. 
So that's kind of just for perspective. Wow. Like New York City has half the population, just the city, not the state, has half the population of Australia, which is kind of wild. That is amazing. Yeah, that's why we're leaving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, Yasmin, can you maybe give it a little bit of uh, background and then, you know, explain to people what you do? Sure, sure. So I am trained as a dietitian and I have been working as a dietitian for oh, a few decades now. Um, I am an advanced accredited practicing dietitian, if you want to talk formal terms. Um, But that means that I have a number of different specialty areas. And at the moment, um, chronic conditions and lifestyle management is really one of those areas that I focus on. Um, I work for a university, um, as I've mentioned before. uh, The university is a coastal university. Um, so we have nice beach views and occasionally we have nice meetings at the beach, which is beautiful. Um, and that university um, means that I do te- both teaching and research. Um, so I teach um, nutrition practice and we train dietitians of the future um, and, of course, nutritionists as well. Okay. And, yeah, my research varies a lot, um, lots of different areas, mainly focused on whole foods, um, and how they can benefit us in terms of health outcomes. Yeah, and that's and that's why I wanted to have you on. I, you know, I watched, um, I recently watched uh, Vitamania, and <laughs> it, it, it's like it was one of those eye openers for me. And and that's not necessarily that I'm like this massive vitamin guy, but it is a massive industry, and it's kind of under the radar. You just pres- and I personally just presumed it was. It was good. It's vitamins. I mean, shit, you need vitamins, right? It's, you do. It seems like, it seems like basic logic. <laughs> and I never really thought about it, you know, any more than that. And that was kind of an eye opener. So that's, you know, I wanted, I was like, so it's, and it's not necessarily like, I don't think there's like some massive conspiracy here. I think it's just a lot of misinformation um, and a lot of money involved and a lot of marketing and buzzwords. So I wanted to have you, an expert, just kind of like decipher, make some sense for us. I mean, maybe let's start with what are vitamins, right? There are 13 vitamins. That's right, yes. But what what exactly are vitamins? I mean, they're components that naturally occur in our foods that we eat, and they are required for health. Um, So we can't make vitamins, generally speaking, ourselves. There is that exception of vitamin D. Um, but we need a balance of all of those different vitamins and in varying components um, as part of our eating pattern. So there's something that we, we can't really ignore because we definitely do all need them. And what is the difference between the, right, you have the water-soluble ones, which was, uh, I believe it was B and C, and then uh, the fat-soluble, which is A, D, uh, E, and K. E, and K. All right, yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, can you maybe just explain, like, the differences Sure, sure. So it's really based on, um, in part, where they're found, but more so in terms of how they are um, interacting with our bodies. So, um, you know, for example, our fat-soluble vitamins, we find it a lot of the time in food sources that have a natural fat component to them. So oily fish, for example, we find some fat-soluble vitamins in our oily fish, so salmon, tuna, and those guys. Um, Whereas the fat-soluble vitamins, you wouldn't necessarily, sorry, the water-soluble vitamins, you wouldn't necessarily find in quite as high amounts. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking at a water-based food item, like a piece of fruit, for example, um, you'll find higher amounts of those water-soluble vitamins. And what that means then when we consume those 
from food um, is the body deals with them in a different way. So we might store some of those vitamins if they're fat soluble in our liver, for example, and it does a lot of the, the work for us. Um, the water soluble vitamins, once we reach certain levels, we pass them out through our urine. So um, that's why a lot of the time, if they're thinking about supplements in terms of vitamins, you'll see us mentioning that it's expensive urine, basically. <laughs> um, so a <laughs> lot of the time, those, yeah, those mega doses that you find um, in the bottles on the shelf um, are well beyond what you need, and you'll find some yeah, expensive bathroom visits. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, because you know, I, I, I'm not someone that regularly would take vitamins, but every once in a while, like my 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 wife has a lot of them, and they're just kind of on the shelf. And every once in a while, I'd pass them, and I just pop a few. Sure. Without really, I'm like, oh, B, sure, yeah, uh, A, D, yeah, I'll just pop <laughs> a few. Without, you know, I was just in my in my head, I'm like, I'm just taking some vitamins. I need them. They're vitamins. They're healthy. It's just a little extra pep in my step, right? A little extra something to keep me healthy. And there's nothing, at least not that that I've seen, that really tells you how much you should be taking. Should you be taking? Did you get a test to see that you're lacking something? You just kind of, they just tell you, just take it without really any examination. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely... Um... A challenging area for people who don't necessarily understand the space of, of nutrition um, in the same way as those of us who are trained in the space. Um, and definitely the marketing is very, very strong and um, brings a lot of consumers to purchase a lot of products that they don't really need. Yeah. Because, I mean, in the movie, there was, um, there's a, a, a scene where they're, show, where they're showing the, a, a meal, like a complete mm -hmm. meal, where yep. you would essentially get everything you need. So I think it was like some nuts, a piece of salmon, some spinach, rice, mango, one apple, a carrot, and maybe some, I think it was like yogurt. Yogurt, that's right. And you're good to go, right? Like in that meal is everything you need, right? They're all the vitamins that you need. That's right, yes. Yeah, as far as, as, far as vitamins. Yeah, yeah. So why do I need to take all these other things? Well... <laughs> I mean, there are certain conditions where it definitely does help the case. Um, but in the general population, I think just eating normal foods, um, I don't really feel there's a need to consume artificially produced items um, in terms of supplements there. I think if you don't have any particular um, me medical conditions or any particular issues, you should be able to eat most foods safely and be able to achieve the levels that you need of your, or your vitamins quite easily. I mean, it wasn't particularly much food there that was on the plate. No. I, could, I could easily eat that. It's not a problem yeah. at all. <laughs> it was delicious. Yeah. Um, so more people, people are more likely to be able to consume more than the amount of vitamins that they need. Um, but the good thing is if you have them in the whole food form, your body tells you, oh, we're getting, getting a bit to the point now we don't need any more and we have those extra extra components that happen within the body system to tell us, oh, I'm really full now or no, I shouldn't have any more of this. Whereas when you're popping a pill or a supplement or whatever it might be, you don't have those indications. Your body doesn't know that there is a mega dose in this little tablet that you're taking. Yeah. Um, and it can actually be a bit detrimental because a few of the vitamins in particular, the fat-soluble ones, um, can be toxic. So if you take too much of the A, D, E, K uh, vitamins, it can actually cause harm. 
It can cause harm, yes. So it can have some effects on your liver and other systems. Um, so that's, that's one of the reasons why there is a level of regulation out there. Um, but in terms of the range of different products that exist, um, it's, it's a bit of a, an up-and-go field, not quite uh, as heavily regulated as some of the other areas. I mean, so at what levels? Like if I take five or if I take 50 extra, you know, ADAC vitamins? Yeah, I think it depends on what you've got in front of you because each vitamin will have a different dosage in itself. Um, so, again, it depends on what you've purchased off the shelf. Um, what on like a milligram? Actually, well, it, yeah, it depends yeah. On, on what the vitamin is, yeah, the milligram value um, or some of them are even microgram values that so you need such a tiny amount. And if you're taking multiple tablets beyond the recommended amounts that are on the label, um, it's, it's definitely not going to be better for you. Yeah, because I remember in, in, on, on the plate, it was literally, it was like a, pinch it, it was like a, a grain some of them was just like a couple of grains of yeah. like salt like that's the amount you need yeah yeah some <laughs> of them are really really small amounts and um you know it's that's why it's so easy well, you know i always bring it back to food because i love my food so yeah i, I don't know why you wouldn't just eat food <laughs> so if i could play a uh a, a, a um let's see a, uh a um vitamin company lobbyist and i would say you know people don't eat healthy right like there's a lot of uh, kfc and and mcdonald's and burger king and all the junk food that people eat and, and and maybe it's not organic and people don't eat too many vegetables unfortunately we are you know targeting those people like we want to help those people that maybe are not getting the sufficient amount of vitamins but the irony is that the majority of people that go and, and take vitamins are actually, the I'm, I'm, I think, the healthier people, right? The people who are interested in a healthier lifestyle, that maybe do yoga, that go running, that eat a little bit better. Those are usually the people. That's right, that yes. Get vitamins. But what about those, quote-unquote, uh, like, or not quote-unquote, the literally the less healthier, the people that eat the junk food that maybe don't work out? Like, is there a benefit for them? Yeah, I think a lot of the time, as you were saying, they, they aren't the common group that would be taking the vitamins. Um, yeah. For them, health isn't necessarily the priority in their life. Um, it may be that the, the food that they're choosing to consume to them tastes really good and that's why they choose to eat it. Um, but I think the deeper issue is more that we need to be able to change those behaviours. So trying to counterbalance that by popping a few pills that have some vitamins in it isn't going to help the fact that they might be over-consuming a whole range of other items um, from those fast food products that they might be consuming or, you know, from the lack of physical activity that they might be doing or any number of different factors. So I don't think there's a sort of cure-all type vitamin pill out there um, or even a cure-all, any type of pill out there, to be honest. Um, but I think for those, those people who are, I guess, less healthy by comparison to those who are doing yoga and all of the other bits and pieces, um, we need to go for a different approach and spending a lot of money on having an industry where they'll be popping pills is definitely not, in my opinion, where we need to go there. I think we need to help those people in a different way. And, yeah, um, yeah I think that funding could be going towards more important causes like finding ways to educate them um, about the benefits of, of those various lifestyle factors that are good for them and trying to prioritise a good lifestyle by comparison to what they may not be doing at the moment. 
Yeah. It's, um, it's very unfortunate that, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I remember when I, I was in Australia a, a long, long time ago and, uh, I must've been 21, I believe. And, uh, you know, I frequented at Hungry Jack's, uh, many a times. And, uh, <laughs> I remember, and, and here the equivalent is, you know, there's, I mean, endless amounts of, of junk food and it's just so accessible and it's so cheap mm. and yeah. it gives you, and it's like it, it, you know, the caloric intake that you need from it, right. It, it fills you up for like, you know, five ninety nine or forty nine, whatever it is, it's it's cheap. It's you can get a meal for under five bucks. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do that with kale and salmon. Even though that, I mean, I guess it's not too expensive. The what we laid out before, but it's definitely more than you know four ninety nine. Yeah, I think that also comes down to um, to the individual areas as well. So where people are living and and um, what they have available to them. So yes, there definitely is a lot of research out there showing that people who are less educated tend to steer towards those um, fast food convenience choices in terms of food intakes. Um, I know cost always comes up as a factor of, you know, why why are these so cheap to make? It's because they're mass produced, but it's also because they're full of things that we don't really need to be consuming. And while they may make someone feel full in the short term, I don't think in the long term it's having beneficial effects. It's been shown that it's not having beneficial effects for the person and for their health. And, um, you know, the idea that kale, for example, may be seen to be more expensive. I think a lot of people, at least here in Australia, have seen the effect of doing things yourself. So when we had the big lockdown happening here, in particular, a lot of people started to grow their own. And they went, oh, okay, I can do this. This is really, really cheap. Yeah. And there was an eye-opener experience happening there where people learnt to create their own little vegetable garden in the space that they had wherever that was, whether it was on their balcony or whether they have a farm or any other space available to them. And I think COVID was a bit of an eye-opener for people from that perspective, which is nice. I think that was a nice outcome to see in such interesting circumstances. Um and I think that will be a factor that will help people to see that it's not expensive to produce natural products. Um, it's just that it obviously takes a lot more effort and that's one of the reasons why sometimes on the, on the supermarket shelves they seemingly are more expensive. But I think yeah. if you actually then use them in the right way, so if you were to purchase a whole collection of vegetables and cook them up in a certain way, you actually are creating a multiple meal item there for you that you can eat many more times and feel probably more full and have more benefits for your health by comparison to that one cheap meal from a um, convenience outlet. And you guys have the perfect climate. I mean, to grow stuff, right. It's just, it's, it's most of the year it's pretty warm. It's uh, you get, you get a good amount of rain, but I feel like the, just the, the, the growing conditions there are, are pretty good. Uh, most of the time. Yes. Yes. And getting a good amount of rain while well, it's raining at the moment. So um, <laughs> But yes, a lot of the time we do have some nice conditions, but there are obviously areas in Australia as well um, where the conditions aren't ideal, um, but there are then approaches that are increasingly happening now as well as the lockdown is opening up a bit more, um, a lot more community interactions occurring and community gardens available to people where they may not have the skills or the expertise of how on earth can you grow your own, but there are other people who are wanting to teach them 
Um, so then the community can come together and actually create a garden and they can all share from each other's harvests and each other's outcomes. Oh, that's um, awesome. So I, I think those kind of approaches are really nice to see. And, I mean, there's always the challenge of, say, inner city living. Um, it's very difficult to create a nice garden where you've got very, very limited space available to yeah. you, let alone, you know, you may not even have access to a balcony where you can get sunlight coming through. So I think just thinking outside of the box and um, coming up with ways that you can purchase things and grow things, um, I think that cost factor then doesn't need to be as as heavily um, pushed forward as it had been in the past. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think in Cuba they were doing something like this um, where they they were growing stuff on 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 um, on rooftops. Yeah. And, uh, right. And then they had like a whole movement there where everyone was growing food in their house and all the rooftops or not all, but some rooftops were dedicated to growing food and they managed to self-sustain themselves, you know, somewhat at least through that. Yeah. There have been some really exciting green initiatives coming through where, um, particularly in those larger cities, they're recognizing that there is this space available on the rooftops where people don't really go there. They don't really need to access the rooftop so why not use that space and why not create a garden and that started to pick up quite nicely i think it's a it's a wonderful idea use space that we've got available um you know there may not be green grass growing everywhere in a city space but yeah go for the rooftop why not <laughs> it's right there <laughs> exactly exactly or even the vertical gardens where you can actually grow up the walls as well yeah love you yeah there's there's a lot of innovation here in Brooklyn. I know there's um, a company called Gotham Greens and they have a massive rooftop in one of like the, the industrial buildings or it used to be an industrial building, I think. And uh, they, you know, they supply to Whole Foods. They supply to all these in the area. I don't know if maybe they have like some co-op thing that they do as well, but uh, they're a massive, massive company now. And it's just, it's literally here in Brooklyn. It's not upstate, you know, where they're growing it, uh, like traditional farm. So there's a lot of innovation in, in that space. Yeah. And I think we need more of that generally um, across the board. Um, I, I just, I don't think we can keep on going the way we are going, making everything you know, in packets and, um, you know, keep on pushing forward with those those convenience items. We can be convenient. We can have convenient food available to us. We just need to think a little bit carefully and maybe plan ahead a bit. Yeah. No, America loves convenience. We need yeah. convenience. Oh, it's no not nation. far from that. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, it may not be seen that way on the outside, but there is definitely a very, very strong shift towards a similar pattern um, wow. or increasing Rates of obesity are a sign that we're moving in the same direction. Oh, well, we apologize. We, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't mean to do it. We just, uh, it happened somehow. Um, you know, I uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm one of many, but I feel like my whole uh, side of the family, my mom's side, a whole host of different like health issues, uh, mainly in the, in the gut, like uh, Crohn's and then IBS and all these different things. And, um, you know, about 10 years ago, I started having like, I was like, oh, I don't feel well in my stomach. And I was like, you know, I started watching the documentaries and I got the information. I was like, you know, vegan is the best diet. So I went vegan. And then, you know, forget the ethical. I'm just talking health wise. Like I didn't feel that much better. Like, and, and I, you know, I felt better at times, but it wasn't this, 
the promise that I was given through a lot of the information <laughs> wasn't what I ended up receiving. And again, it, it, so, and then I was like, you know what, let me switch it up here. And I switched it up and I tried different things and I still, I still haven't eaten meat in a very long time, but I think the more I'm, I look into it, the more I'm of, of the mind of, and again, I'm no expert. You're the expert. I don't know anything about this, but just from my personal opinion, it just seems like there's maybe no, best diet for humans it just seems like we're so individual and what works for mary is not necessarily what's going to work for john i I think that's it's correct to an extent um there is definitely a shift towards you know better approaches to eating that should be beneficial uh to most but of course our individual circumstances do come into play there in terms of do we have some medical conditions that might have an interaction with what we eat um, they might create some symptoms for us that may not be the same as the person next door or the person down the road. Um, but the plant-based approach is becoming particularly um, popular. It's yeah. it's showing that, well, not only the research is showing it, but there are a lot of um, then anecdotal evidence um, stories coming through about people who have shifted towards a more plant-based approach. And that doesn't even mean completely cutting meat out. It just means increasing the amount of plant-based items that you're consuming as part of what you eat every day and that's really a positive thing um and one thing i did notice actually is you guys added that into your dietary guidelines um so you're the first ones to, to start shifting and having some eating patterns um including your dietary guidelines which we're still reviewing ours so who knows what will come up um, but I, I like the idea of um including eating patterns because that's really how we eat we, we don't eat just one food item and another food we eat whole collection of things together um and we eat with people and we eat in particular spaces in particular environments so i think i think the idea of including plant-based in that recommendation to the general public fair enough some people it might be on you know go on to deaf ears and it doesn't make any difference at all but for those few people who do decide oh maybe i should shift maybe there's something happening here like you did you know the the shift as unfortunately as we age um, you know, more and more symptoms pop up and we, we start to feel things a bit more than we did previously. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> the weight becomes harder to keep off, all those kind of lovely factors that we have to deal with. Um, but the shift in the right direction there is definitely going to be beneficial for people in the long term. So it, it may not be immediate, so you may not think, oh, wow, this is the best thing ever because I started being vegan, for example, yesterday. Mm-hmm. It takes time. And it yeah. takes also with veganism a bit of careful management. So um, it's always important to talk to someone who probably is trained in, as a dietitian in that space um, because you can actually miss quite a few chunks of what you need for your body um, going to the extremes of veganism. Um, but most plant-based approaches, you should be able to, to eat nearly everything that you need to um, and achieve everything you need to for your body to function health normally and over time, you'll also find you feel better. You suddenly are less tired and you've got more energy to do other things that you didn't previously do. Sometimes it also goes hand in hand that because you feel better, you then decide to do some other things that are good for you, like being more active. And yeah. it has a bit of a snowball effect. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think the idea of plant-based eating is a, it's a good one to push forward. And I think if that's um, not necessarily marketed, but if it's promoted in the right way, um, it should be able to be beneficial to people. 
but unfortunately I've seen it promoted in the wrong way as well, which that's likely to happen in most things. So uh, as far as diets, there are so many, right? It's endless. And there are people that swear by, you know, a carnivore diet or paleo or I don't know, keto. There's, I, I can't keep up. There's a new one, you know, every few weeks and people swear by it. And, and there's, you know, they, they'll bring testimonials and they show how you, how they'll, you, I don't know, losing BMI and how they're gaining protein and muscle and all these different things. And again, I don't believe anyone and I believe everyone in the, in the same breath, right? Because maybe it is really working for you, but I don't know. It, it's not necessarily something I want to check out for myself. And the thing is, it's like there's there seems to be like all these labels and diets. I don't know if they're the complete ones. I, I think it's just healthy eating, right? Because even for vegan, right, they say, oh, you can go vegan, but you should take these B12 and you should take these iron pills. And like, there's, so there's a few extra things where you're like, okay, this is the best diet, but you are missing one or two things. Right. And then it's like with uh, these old carnivore diets where you're just eating meat all the time. I mean, in the documentary, they, they showed you how, if you know, if you don't get enough vitamin C, you can get scurvy, which mm-hmm. is what these sailors used to get. So yeah. you need to, you need to eat veggies, you need to eat fruits. You can't just sustain yourself on steaks. That's true. Yeah. So that's <laughs> so. Is there? I guess the question is like with all my rambling and ranting. Is there? Are, are we? Should we just be eating like a moderate diet where we're eating mostly veggies and then you know maybe some a little bit of animal protein and some legumes and some you know other things as well rather than just sticking to this label where like we have to stay within that, that, that range. Yeah. And I think for me, it almost comes down to the idea of the word diet. It always, it has that negative um, connotation to it. Um, And a lot of the time that's because it's a marketing ploy that's been pushed through from whoever it may be because they had a positive experience with a particular pattern of foods and they didn't think that's going to be the same for everyone out there. Um, so I think from that perspective, a lot of those, what I would say, are fad diets um, can be quite risky. Um, but then, of course, we have some that aren't necessarily as, as detrimental to health as um, the true fad diets. And I think one nice example, and it almost sounds to me like what you were describing just before in terms of the foods you were naming, um, the Mediterranean diet approach, like it's still referred to as a diet and there's still that negative connotation of the word diet but it's really just a pattern of eating and it really is about balance and about eating from all of those different food groups you know a little bit of meat fruits and veggies having some nuts having some oils making sure that you've got all the different items in there but also making sure that you enjoy them and you enjoy them with people that you want to be able to eat so I think that approach to me is quite nice plus the foods are really beautiful too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that, that one is one that I like to turn to. Um, I've tried, I was vegetarian previously um, and I moved to pescatarian and that, that worked quite nicely for me, but um, the majority of the population don't want to cut meat out. And for those people, I think the idea of a Mediterranean approach works quite nicely. Um, it naturally has a balance in all of the different areas. Plus, again, same thing. The studies have shown that it's really, really quite beneficial for so many different things. 
Um, it helps with weight loss. It helps with cardiovascular disease prevention. Um, it has so many different effects from chronic conditions that, you know, how, how else can you have those benefits unless it's from things that you need on a daily basis? And that's really food for me. It's something that's really quite important to everyone. Yeah, I, uh, I I went pescatarian as well. Um, sorry, sorry, vegans, but um, and I found it. Um, and again, like you know, maybe once a week or, or something like that, I'll have like a piece of fish. Um, and for the most part, it's pretty much vegan with a little bit of eggs here and there. Um, and honestly, I found that works the best for me. And uh, it was. It's a lot of you know. It's a lot of testing. It's a lot of, uh, okay, this, you know, let me try this food. No, let me try that thing. Okay, no, I actually didn't feel good with that. Let me try. And then like, oh, all of a sudden, like tomatoes, why don't I, why don't I feel good after eating like tomatoes? And it's just all these like things where 10 years ago, I didn't have any of that. I could eat, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was like a tank. I could, you know, drink all night, uh, eat whatever I want in the morning or just during the day, back to drinking at night, wake up five in the morning, work like just like a tank no issue now impossible just literally impossible yeah and without sleep as well of course you can do all those things and have no sleep and then you just survive (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. no but the difference as as age increases um that definitely has an effect on the majority of people and i think that's why food is such an interesting factor because some people continue to think oh i can still eat like i was a teenager you know i can still eat my 10 portions of whatever it was well, no, you probably can't because your body's dealing with things differently. Your metabolism is slowing down because that's what happens as we get older. Um, you know, our lives change. We're doing a lot of things that are very different to when we were teenagers. We're no longer able to party all night because we need to sleep a lot more. Yeah. Um, particularly if we've got kids. My goodness, you need to sleep a lot more. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you know, there are so many different factors out there that um, – it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all for everybody. But you are also saying that if, you know, the effect on your body of you eat this particular food and it has a certain effect, that may be for that particular day. It might be that if you try that food again the next week, um, you don't have any problems at all. So, um, Or if it's a new food that you've never tried before, it might be having an effect because it's a new food and it takes your body a little while to adjust to, to new items. So your gut... Um, sort of builds itself up in a certain way and um, you might have some some effects of certain foods that you eat because you're actually having um, your gut growing and adjusting to to those beneficial factors that your body's trying to produce from those good foods, assuming they're good foods. Yeah. And, and I mean, how does one actually decipher? Because there's just so much pseudoscience and misinformation and marketing ploys and endless bombardment of you know quote unquote i'm doing air quotes specialists out there that'll just give you i mean essentially everyone wants to, wants to sell us something they, they want to sell us their book they want to sell us their uh their food their mar their product their service and it's just so difficult to decipher and when you're you know when you really maybe are not feeling that well or maybe you are overweight and you do you know are looking for something it's it's hard it's hard to figure out what is the best uh, solution for yourself yeah, that's very true. And that's, especially now with the, the expansion of social media to the extreme that it's at now. Yeah, um, I think everyone's an expert. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> whatever the experience is that you've had, of course, the person next to you is going to have that same experience. And that's why you've got to make sure that they do the same as you. 
Um, but yes, there's a there's a very very strong risk of um, people believing unknown experts. There's, there seem to be experts in you know inverted commas there as well because yeah. they may have just eaten a few things that worked well for them and they're turning themselves to the expert. They aren't actually professionally trained or even understand anything about food. Some people may have the qualifications, they may have a doctorate or whatever it may be, but not in the space that they are commenting on. Um, so they might be an astrophysicist but are commenting on food. It doesn't really do the same thing. Um, but, there's, yeah, there definitely is a high risk because a lot of people are out there, unfortunately, just looking to make a lot of money and just to sell their story and to sell their version of what um, has been working and it's not to say that that will be the same for everybody. I mean, from a bit of a personal note, um, I'm also a bit of an advocate for multiple sclerosis because I do have that condition myself. And there's so much misinformation about multiple sclerosis out there, particularly in relation to food. Really? So much of it. It's crazy. Wow. And it's scary to see some of the recommendations that come through because they are not healthy. What are some of the more prevalent ones? Oh, a lot of cutting out of complete food groups. So that's something that I, I don't agree with. Um, we don't have enough science in the space yet to be able to say this is the way that we should be eating. It's just we're basically going to the idea of a balanced, healthy approach to eating um, because there's not a hard and fast um, research, well, not hard and fast research out there yet. Yeah. And I think cutting out whole food groups for anyone whether you've got a chronic condition or whether you don't, is not going to have positive effects. Um, so I, I don't think the idea of cutting out whole food groups, particularly when there are multiple food groups that are being suggested to be cut out, is the approach that needs to be taken. I mean, there, some people will disagree with me, but that's my personal opinion. <laughs> Has there been, so how long have you, have you had a MS? Um, since 2003, so quite a, quite a while now. Uh, oh, 17, sorry, 2004. So, in my 17th okay. year. 17 yeah. years. Wow. Um, and and I guess, like, how has it affected your life? And, like, what has, what have you found um, to work for you? Um, so, it, it's been quite minor for me. I've been very lucky. Um, I don't know if that's because I naturally eat quite well and have a bit of a, a well balanced lifestyle. So, I stay yeah. physically active as much as possible. Um, for me, it really is about making sure that I don't overindulge too much and um, I'm not someone who naturally would be consuming fast food all the time anyway or drinking a whole bunch of alcohol. It's just not me. So I think that's why I haven't had too much of an effect from the disease itself. Um, but in saying that what works for me may not work for the next person, um, but that's why I turn to what we've got the science out there for and what we've got the research and the the evidence base out there for, which is really, you know, eating those, what the dietary guidelines are recommending. And I know people get so sick of hearing that, um, but it's where we've got the most research. That's what's been shown to work. Um, and I think that also works for a number of chronic conditions um, that are not just MS, but, um, you know, cardiovascular disease. A lot of those can benefit from just turning towards what we should be eating rather than what we feel like eating today and then indulging in things that, Going to help. Yeah, are are you guys finding more connections between diseases that maybe previously we thought were not food related, but maybe now with more evidence and more research, we're seeing that that they are something like 
I don't know, maybe like uh, Alzheimer or, or stuff that maybe you wouldn't think that is related to food necessarily. Yeah, so the example you just used in terms of Alzheimer's disease, um, it was a, there was the idea of this gut and brain axis, so the interaction between what happens in the brain and what happens in the gut. It was raised a few decades ago and then sort of disappeared off the research trend train um, for quite a while. And in the past, in the recent uh, past, we've seen this gut-brain axis really pop up quite a lot because the science is really, really strong now to show that there's a clear relationship between those two parts of our body. So what we what we eat and what happens in our gut and how those bacteria in our gut grow and interact actually has a positive effect on what happens in the brain. And oh, wow. as a result of that, we've been seeing a lot of um, studies in relation to Alzheimer's disease, in relation to Parkinson's, in relation to um, various um, mental health conditions where eating a better approach to the eating or the eating patterns that they previously had um, is actually being really positive. And in particular, wow. eating foods from the rainbow of different food items that are out there. So thinking about, you know, fruits and veggies, they're all different colours. The different colours are actually good for us. Wow, that's amazing. That's not something I think that's very well known. Or I don't know, it, I mean, maybe in, in like certain communities or certain like you know, groups, but uh, I think general public probably, you know, hasn't heard of this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not definitely not a cure by any means. So we're not saying that the food can cure Alzheimer's. Unfortunately, um, to my understanding, we still haven't found a cure for some of these conditions. But we can definitely reduce our risk of developing these conditions if we are in a family where it's known to be um, inherited. So it might be that you're um, you have a direct family link to people who have Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's, um, you can try to reduce your risk of developing these diseases in later life by making sure that you do eat those balance of the different colours of foods. Um, and in particular, ones we've been looking at are the anthocyanins, which are your, your blues and your purples, the blueberries and all of those. Um, and we found some really nice positive effects. Wow. Um, that's interesting. Blues. What else is blue other than blueberries? <laughs> so I guess it's the, the shades of blue. So you put things like your eggplant and things like that as well. Um, your plums. Plums. Um, Ooh, I love plums. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're seasonal, but yeah, they're very tasty when they when they are around. Um, yeah. But that whole spectrum, I guess, it goes through from red through to blue and purple in there as well. So you've also got cherries um, popping up there again, seasonal um, but very tasty. <laughs> Um, but those those different components have been shown to be really quite beneficial uh, in certain amounts. And I think we've tested studies where we've had about 300 mils of a, a cherry juice um, through researchers that I've worked with, and that's been found to improve some of our measures of cognition in our brain. So what we eat having an effect on what actually happens in our brain, which is nice to see. Could it be that we're... Um... I guess limiting ourselves because of what we can farm or you know what we can sell because I think I, I read once that we're only eating something like five to eight percent of of the um, the the plants that are out there that are edible, right? And I don't know if it's in the Amazon or, or, or all these other places. I'm sure there's a lot of different plants that are out there that have immense you know, um, nutritious properties that we could probably benefit from, but maybe they're just extremely difficult to farm or maybe we just, uh, what, for whatever reason, 
they're just not um, available in the supermarket and we're yeah. kind of maybe just missing out but maybe there's some that are, are known but again like maybe just extremely difficult to farm yeah yeah i think i wouldn't be surprised um i hadn't heard that statistic myself but just thinking about how different conditions is just within this country that i live in uh so if you grow something in new south wales you can't necessarily grow it up north as well because our soil conditions are so rapidly different between those two areas within the one country um and I think that's one of the reasons why we do see differences as we move around the globe where particular products are readily available in certain seasons in a particular region or a particular country, um, but they don't then appear in other countries or during other seasons. And while that's a good thing, because I like the idea of keeping things local and um, you know working with the produce that you have available to you, um, we do also have a lot of products out there that we don't get know enough about. So I'd say about 10 or more years ago, we didn't know very much about these things that are called phytochemicals. So they are components within food that are affected by the light, um, the sunlight out there. And if you process them in a certain way, the levels drop off quite a lot. Um, so there's a lot of research now happening in that space and they seem to have almost nutrient-like um, effects on the body, but they're not officially nutrients yet. So who knows what will happen in the next few decades. Um, but that's already sign, a sign of the components within foods having a big shift and a big directional change from what we're used to. And I suspect the same thing will start to happen as people discover new food sources um, in areas that hadn't been explored or maybe even products that hadn't been thought to be human consumption material. Um, like some of those you know, ancient grains, I guess they're called, like the yeah. sorghum and things like that. So I think we'll see a shift happening over time um, as we start to embrace some of the products that we have taken for granted in previous years. Yeah, you, you mentioned um, sunlight. How important is, you know, being out in the sun? Because um, now with, with COVID, there was like a lot of discussion about, you know, you should take so much vitamin D. Like vitamin D has shown to... Uh, I'm not sure if it was reduced or, but it was shown to help you somehow with, with um, potentially catching COVID. But again, like is just being out getting sun enough? Um, I would say the majority of time, again, referring to Australian conditions. So during our spring and our summer, you could say yes for the majority of people. Um, so as long as you are outdoors for a certain amount of time, obviously, um, the peak of the day when you're going to get sunburned, um, but making sure that you're exposed and different areas of your body are exposed to, not always the same area because otherwise the vitamin D levels won't really change. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so you need to make sure you expose different areas of your body um, to the sunlight. Okay. Um, but I think the idea of vitamin D supplementation for areas where there is sunlight available and, um, you know, during winter it's a bit, bit different. But most, I'd say most areas um, with sunlight available to them where they're not necessarily heavily polluted because the sun rays obviously are distorted um, in terms of reaching the skin surface properly, um, we should be able to get to reasonable levels. Again, people who are indoors a lot of the time um, or if they are working underground or if they're ageing, 
probably should get their levels checked and that would be you know a quick blood test with your doctor making sure that your levels are within the recommended ranges and if they're not um then the doctor should be able to discuss strategies to to help to improve the vitamin d it's not the case that everyone needs to take supplements um just because they're indoors for a couple of days um it does take a little bit of time for the, the levels to drop off and it also depends on on when it in, is in the year yeah and um are all vitamins created equally in the sense that i i know in the documentary they mentioned that majority of the vitamins are actually synthetically uh developed in china and they're made from fossil fuels which <laughs> you know that was that was the 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 the, the nail in the ground for me the stake in the in the, in the ground because when i heard it's made from fossil fuels i was like okay there's i have no interest in taking vitamins anymore yeah yeah i, I think um i remember that scene in the documentary it was definitely um one of the more common eye-openers to people where they went wow my goodness what is this um I think it comes down to the region where we are looking at. So depending on the local region um, and the local regulations for supplements will depend on what's happening. Um, they are, however, synthetically produced. They are not um, the natural product because the natural product we tend to find more commonly in the food form. Um, but when we're thinking supplementation, um, I think it is worth doing a bit of digging and having a look to see, you know, what is this company doing and how they're actually producing these, these products. Um, and I don't think it's that they're all the same across the globe. I think we really do need to, to isolate it to the region that you're talking about. Yeah. And there's a lot of, I, I know cross-contamination just from like, I know I, I'm, I'm a big uh, MMA fan and uh, USADA is the organization that looks over um, the athletes, right? If, if the, the anti-doping agency mm. and the amount of times, and again, this is, you know, their word against the athlete, but the amount of time the athletes have said, hey, I took this supplement that was authorized by you. And then you see it's like made in China. And then the, in the thing, it, it'll have a substance that's not in the ingredient list. Mm. And there's a lot of conversation around, there's just a lot of cross-contamination happening in China. They're, they're not as regulated as it would be, an example, maybe in Australia or in the U.S. Mm. Yeah, I think the, the different um, import-export rules come into play a lot and then making sure that the regulatory agency in the country of origin is on par with the one um, that's receiving the items. Um, that's one thing here in Australia that is quite nice because we do have a very strict regulatory agency. Um, it does differ, obviously, in terms of foods versus supplements, um, but it's definitely an eye-opener because people can now purchase things over the internet and the awareness is not out there that things may not necessarily be the same um, in one country as they are in the other. So, yeah, I think learning um, a bit more about what's going into your body is kind of important, um, but also reading what's on the, on the packet. If you can even read it sometimes, so you can print in your native language. So that's a little bit of a red flag for me, I would say. Well, even if even if it's in your language, it's it's sometimes it's you know it's it's scientific jargon that for the most part, like mm. most people don't don't even know what it is, right? Like yeah. you don't know what all these compounds are. You have no idea. Like yeah, it's it's on the vitamin. It should be healthy. Must um, be good. Yeah, it must be good. It's it's they put it there for a reason. I trust them. Look, it says the Natural Health uh, Company. Yes. Um, but 
just to recap, essentially, if you're eating a, a, a pretty well-balanced diet, and like we said, like salmon and the spinach and carrot, for the most part, again, unless you have some other condition, you should be okay not taking vitamins. For the majority. As a, as, as a general statement. Yeah, for the majority of people, that would definitely be the case. Now, keeping in mind that that plate in particular that we referred to um, was for the vitamins specifically. So obviously we do also consume things that are called minerals that are important for us, uh, you know, iron and calcium and all of those guys. Um, there are some additional products that may need to be added to that to represent um, those additional mineral requirements. Um, but in the most part, keeping a balance of all of the food groups um, is a good starting point because you should be able to get most of your vitamins and most of the minerals um, from that balanced approach. How um, much weight or importance would you put on organic versus non-organic? Ooh, um, the research has shown that there's not that much of a difference. Um, yeah. Really? <laughs> so unfortunately, yeah. So yes, there has obviously from that, um, I guess, that mindset of this must be better, um, people are then happy to pay a lot more. And, yes, the, the idea that, you know, using pesticides and so forth in the production of the product, um, but there are some very cheeky companies out there who manipulate the idea of organic and it's not truly organic as per what the, um, the regulatory agency may require it to be. Um, but from the scientific perspective, it hasn't really been shown to be any different to other products. So if you're buying fruits and veggies in your supermarket, or organic fruits and veggies at your greengrocer, um, there's not that much of a difference. By eating those fruits and veggies generally, that's the main, main thing that you should be doing by comparison to eating something else that's not quite as good for you. So if you're growing lettuce in your backyard, right, you're not mm -hmm. using anything, you just have a little, you know, you have like two lettuce heads and you're just growing them with, with love and care and you're not putting anything on them, Yep. That is equivalent to mass-produced lettuce with pesticides, herbicides, and all the other things that uh, are produced on a, ma on, a, on, a, on a massive farm? Well, I think you've got multiple benefits that come into play if you're producing your own, growing your own in your yard. So you've also got that just Lettuce versus lettuce, just as a company. Yeah. Lettuce versus lettuce. But you've got the, the extra benefits of your well-being because you're out there digging around in the soil as well. So that's a mental health benefit for you as well. But if you're just okay. comparing the two heads of lettuce, for example, um, again, I think it comes down to where you're purchasing from. So, yes, some of those would have been in cold storage for a fair while, which then also means that some of those vitamins um, would have dropped off because they do naturally decrease over time. And by comparison to having the freshly harvested lettuce from your little garden, um, I would agree that there's a difference from a nutrition perspective there. But... What I was saying is the difference between having the lettuce or having a burger, um, you know, you're going to have probably more health benefits from eating a vegetable there than having burger, burgers every day. Yeah. As a general example. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting you brought up the, um, the refrigerated uh, aspect, but could, I mean, so there, is a, there, there are a few companies that they say that, you know, they, they, um, refrigerate the items right let's say it's corn or let's say it's a, it's a smoothie or whatever else that they're selling 
on the farm. So they they harvest it and then it goes straight into a, a freezing situation and then it's in your freezer and then you consume it whenever you want. And they say that it's the best thing because it locks in all those vitamins and nutrients versus if you, let's say, buy it in the, um, uh, you know, here, majority of the fruits and veggies are produced in California. So by the time they're harvested and then they're shipped across the country to New York City, they have, you know, and then, I don't know, they go into the, dis- the, the distributor and then they go into the supermarket and then you pick it up and then you eat it. It's a good amount of time. And then you have maybe, depending on the fruit or veggie, a few days to a week, roughly. Is there any truth or, or, or sense to that? There definitely is. Um, I mean, cold storage is very common, um, particularly in the mass production situations, uh, as we see for most of our um, larger supermarket chains. And, um, you know, it's, it's not something that's, that's unusual. But, yes, it's, it's true, as you were saying there, that the time difference from having the product harvested through to when it reaches the plate of the consumer um, can be quite substantial. And we also know that there is a difference in the quality then that also happens over time. So if we didn't have it in cold storage, the interactions of um, you know, the, the oxygen in the, in the air already has an effect on the product because it starts to oxidise. Therefore, it starts to look a little bit less appealing, which the producers know and both and the retailers also know that the consumer is less likely to buy something that looks a little bit brown, um, especially if it's not meant to be brown originally. Um, but from on the other hand, putting something into cold storage um, doesn't necessarily lock in the nutrients for all nutrients that we're speaking about because um, definitely some of the work we've been doing in Wollongong, we've been looking at some of those non-nutrient components um, that are starting to emerge in the research. And yeah. we found that even under storage conditions where we kept it at refrigerated or even freezer temperatures, there was still a decrease over time. So depending on how long things are under those cold storage conditions, it can really depend on what that final product is. And it may still look the same, but what's actually in the product may not be the same. Oh, wow. so it's, we haven't quite got to that point yet, although there's a lot of really exciting um, work happening out there where a number of different food companies and a number of different organisations are working together to try to help to maximise the quality um, and to reduce the amount of nutrient losses that are occurring within the product itself because we do know that there's a lot of transportation, for example, that needs to happen within a country um, from a growing region to the producer or to the manufacturer or even to the retailer. So I think there's a lot of exciting work happening there and um, it can hopefully benefit us all in the long run as well. Yeah, that's why back to to a point you made earlier um, about local, um, not only... Is it obviously good for for the environment because it's it's all grown there? But I I I heard um, that there are a few things that so for example in Israel right they have a kid snack called bamba and it's uh, it's delicious every kid has it it's made from peanuts right and they were saying that Israel has a lower uh, peanut allergy uh, per capita especially in kids than let's say in the U.S. because in the U.S. they don't give uh, kids the, the snack. They don't give kids peanuts from that exact fear. Mm. So, and then the, I saw this other thing about um, how 
uh, what was it? Chickpeas. Uh, people were getting some sort of inflammation from chickpeas. But if you grew up with it, the, let's say if, if you're in the Mediterranean area and you grew up eating a lot of hummus and chickpeas, you you weren't susceptible. So it could be not only is it good for the environment, but could be just from you eating the foods that are available in your area. Could it be like actual health benefits to that as well? I think so. Um, I think eating locally um, has multiple benefits. And I think what you've just described there is, is along the right lines as well. Um, we found that in terms of peanuts, like you were saying, um, a few of the organisations that are looking after the allergy um, recommendations in particular countries have actually shifted away from that approach of, no, 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 we're not having peanuts at all, um, to, oh, maybe we should actually give kids peanuts because there was an increase in number of intolerances in kids for peanut allergy or for peanuts generally um, and we found that the regulations were a bit too strict so that's been in particular in Australia that's been lifted a little bit and the idea of reducing or introducing peanuts slightly earlier unless there's a high-risk allergy in a direct um, family member is completely fine now um, so I think that exposure particular products um, has a big impact and even now the idea of exposure in utero is coming through to have an effect so really? it's just it's fascinating what we don't know about food it's there are yeah. so many different things that are still coming through even though we thought we knew everything but Nope, definitely not the case. <laughs> <laughs> we we need we need to send you guys some bamba you, you'll love it it's delicious oh it sounds good it sounds yeah good. it's like a sour no not sour it's like um I don't know. It's like a peanut in a snack. It's pretty good, actually. Um, all right. I got one um, final question before I let you go. And this is, I, I know this is not maybe your area of expertise, but it's something that I've been uh, intrigued by because I have dogs. I know you have dogs. And, you know, a dog is a, is a family member, right? It's, it's, like, it's like having a, a baby. Um, not that I have babies, but I would imagine it's somewhere nearby. And um, there's, there's so much um it's a mass a massive market it's i think dog industry is something like 30 billion dollars in the u.s or something along those lines and i'm seeing vitamins being pushed in that as well from fish oils to omegas to cod i don't know there's so many right do they need it as well like i know like we like we kind of discussed not necessarily something we need do they need it yeah, so I mean, I'm definitely not an animal nutritionist, but to my understanding, it's very similar. So they definitely do have requirements for particular components in their intake. Um, if you look to the way um, the canines were traditionally eating um, you know, without human interaction, there was primarily a, a meat source coming through there. Um, then we've got the, the commercial um, dog foods that come through that tried to manipulate some of that. Um, but I, see, I think some of the science in that space, to me, makes sense because it, it's almost a common sense approach where they say, for example, um, this product includes omega-3, so it's a type of fatty acid for, um, you know, a beautiful coat, for example, for a dog. <laughs> and it, it makes sense because that's, that's what we see a little bit in humans, that omega-3s have positive effects on those components of the body. Um, and they have components on, you know, effects on the skin and so forth. So I, I think there's definitely, while there's a big industry out there, um, there's, I'd say there was definitely a need. Um, we're noticing it with our little puppy. We were feeding him what the previous owner um, was feeding him, 
not my choice of what the food would have been, but he was particularly windy, um, which wasn't fun for us. Um, no, so I've moved no, no, exactly, exactly. But we've moved on to a, a better quality product. So I went through and I read all the back of the product, as I always do. It's a bad habit of mine. Um, it's a great habit. And it's it's definitely changed. It's made a big difference to him. So he's he's not as smelly as he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we um we ended up switching. Uh, for the longest time, I would give uh, our dogs just the regular food because um, I really again, just didn't think about it too much. And then maybe a couple of years ago, I switched them over to this company that delivers fresh food and we keep it frozen. And then like a day before we put in the refrigerator to defrost it, massive change, really massive, yeah. massive change. Yeah. 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 I think it's very similar to, to humans in that perspective. So if you put something good and the high, high quality into your body, you have good outcomes as well. I think that probably applies to a number of different animals. Again, not an animal nutritionist, but yeah. That's just my, my thought on that one. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a common sense approach. It, it makes sense. Mm. Uh, yeah, but this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Not a problem at all. Um, I'd love to have you back in the future. Where uh, where can people find you on the internet? Where are the best places? Oh, I am across a number of different platforms. So you'll find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Twitter. And if you wanted to find anything about me at my work location, I'm at the University of Wollongong. Um, so if anyone wanted to touch base, um, I can be contacted by any of those different platforms. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. I had a lot of fun. This was very insightful. And I hope people take uh, something away from this. Yes. And even if that's only how to feed your puppy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly how to make your puppy not winded yes that's all you took from it that, that's something at least <laughs> it was wonderful to talk to you thanks so much Yasmin thank you